Uh, nice to be here today. I'm not uh, sure what I'll be talking about, but I'll be talking about my what, what it was like, what happened, and what it's like now. So, uh, I'll just start by saying uh, thank uh, Cash for inviting me over. I was here last week, I'm sorry, Chadwick. I'm down here in Florida, Fort Lauderdale, Florida. I, uh, I'm uh, an active member in both my programs. I'm a double winner. My name is Michael. And uh, I'm very active in both programs. I do not separate the two programs. They come together for myself. I, uh, I take information from my primary program, Alcoholics Anonymous, and information from my, my ACA program and try to integrate that together. And that's what I try to do. Uh, let me just say that, uh, that the short version is it was hell, I got well, now it's swell. Okay, now we could all leave. That's it. <laughs> Anyhow, I uh, have to have humor, especially when you do this type of work, I found. And humor is, is good for me because when I'm laughing, I'm not thinking. So I try to find humor and everything. So, family upbringing from up in the northern east of the United States. Uh, father and mother both passed. They're both gone for many decades now, so they do not interfere in my life anymore. They don't want interference. So, I attended, let me just say, types of dysfunction. I had childhood dysfunction. I had military dysfunction in the military, and then I also had addiction dysfunction or trauma. I'll just call it all trauma. Childhood trauma, military trauma, and addiction trauma. So that's just, it's one, a whole lot of trauma, let's put it that way. And it piled on and on, it's constantly, persistently. So I was the type of person that started to minimize things in my life. Oh, something new happened? Well, of course. Why not? It's always going to go that way. Something's always going to happen. It goes the proverbial waiting for the shoe to drop type situation. And my family, as a child, you know, children should be seen and not heard. Uh, I recall my father was a cross-country truck driver, so he'd be gone for months at a time. And uh, I was left there with my sister, my, my mother, and myself. So basically, uh, I had an absent father. And when he came home, he had been to the tavern. So he always came home. And we didn't know whether to jump for joy or hide in the closet. We didn't know. We were kind of fearful of, of him because we saw him as an authority figure. And of course, uh, being that, my mother, I, I started getting away with a lot of stuff. So I recall, I can recall a situation one time when we were, my sister and I were dancing in front of the TV. Just wanted to get attention, I guess, you know. My father and mother were sitting there, and, and, and my father said, you make a better door than a window. And I didn't understand it at the time, but I guess that was his way of telling us to get the hell out of front of the TV. He didn't want to be bothered with us. We just wanted some attention. And so 
I guess then that, that statement that children should be seen and heard start to validate that 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 phrase that they use in ACA, don't talk, don't trust, don't feel. I think that's where that started. So and not only not talking and not really trusting all this, but not trusting what I was feeling. Because if I was ever to display any type of emotion as a child, especially negative emotion, it would be, you shouldn't feel that way. After all we've done for you, 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 you shouldn't be that. It shouldn't be upset. You, should, you shouldn't show mad. You shouldn't show any type of emotion. So I got probably shot down very early in age. So of course, my first growth of choice growing up in that family system, well, I started sniffing glue. <laughs> I mean, that's what I did. I was probably maybe about 12 years old. And uh, that was the start of the beginning of my para-alcoholism. I had no concept or understanding about the inner reality, the inner world, because I was as a child always attaching to the outside stuff. I had no understanding of the inner reality that I live by today in my life. So I quickly progressed to uh, some wine with some of my friends, you know, we got wine, and that first time I ever drank, I remember blacking out underneath the, the highway, the overpass of the highway, waking up with a with kind of a bad, bad headache, but, you know, I said, geez, that was kind of fun, I'd do that again. But that, so I was, a, I was a blackout breaker immediately, uh, you know. So my family, uh, of course, trying to, uh, maneuver to the terrain at a young age, I always look to my peers. I always look outward for for that validation and acceptance because I felt like I never got that at home. And of course, my sister's two years younger than myself. Uh, I'm in the fourth quarter of the football game, so I hope I'm not close to the two-minute warning yet, but I'm, I'm in the fourth quarter of the football game. So I've been here for a while. And I realized that, you know, growing up in, in my family, I had this desire, I just want to get away. I had to want to escape somehow. I wanted to leave. And, uh, of course, the, the drinking progressed somewhat, and uh, some other chemicals came in involved at different times, you know, here and there sporadically. So I, I had made great decisions at the time that no more was going on. I decided I, I joined the military. Let me step back for a second. I recall one other time the situation when my father was leaving for the road trip and uh, the, the early wee hours of the morning and I could hear the truck driving away from the house and my mother leaning out the windowsill, sobbing, uncontrollable sobbing. And my thought was, geez, I gotta save, I gotta save my mommy from crying. I don't know how old I was, but I do remember that thought like it was yesterday. That's a very vivid memory that came up for me when I started doing this work. And uh, that's, I guess, where I started to take on that hero child role in the family. Since my father was an absent father, I became my mother's surrogate husband. I was the man of the house, so to speak, but of course in a small body. <laughs> so that was the, the manifestation of the hero child. And, and, and 
and uh, and that carried on in my life. You know, I'll always trying to uh, not save or rescue, but I I, I felt uh, gravitated towards people who were more needy than myself, more more or appeared to be kind of lost in the world, and I would gravitate towards those people for some reason. Uh, it made me feel like. Uh, I was important. I'm not sure exactly the way I felt about it, but that's what started to happen to me. And of course, I went into the military. And within a short period of time, I found myself in Vietnam. <laughs> now, at this point in time, the alcohol and the other drugs started to progress rapidly in the military. And and when I wound up in Vietnam, I started experiments with some of the most highly addictive lethal drugs on earth. And uh, walking around in the jungle and, and just being hypervigilant, very aware, surrounding all the time, always looking around, you know, being startled, feeling, you know, just very tense, intense. Uh, all the time, and I, I, I was thriving off that, that, that negative excitement. I started to thrive off of that as a young child, this negative attention. And I found myself getting in trouble and, and having consequences for the trouble. So it was a part of my makeup. And just like uh, my uh, way of thinking, feeling, and doing it is part of my makeup. That, so that negative energy. It was negative attention was better than none at all. And of course, I got a lot of attention when I got myself in trouble. Even in the military, I got a lot of attention. <laughs> and so as, as things progressed on in the military, uh, I finally, I finally, uh, I'm not going to discuss what happened over, over there. But uh, there, if you've seen movies, you've seen things about the wars, it shows your own imagination. Okay. Uh, so a lot of craziness was always always uh, there in the present moment all the time. So my addictions really progressed a lot. I, I, I came back from uh, the military in 1972. I was discharged, and I came to South Florida. I came to South Florida, and I was full flight from reality, as my AA program talks about. I came here with most of the addictions. Alcohol, drugs, sex. I picked up gambling and food. So I had multiple addictions, but I didn't know this at the time. I just was living. That's the way I was living. I didn't know any difference. So as a result of that, I recall one, one instance where I was at a, uh, at a doctor's office and I stole a prescription pad. And I would go around town to drugstores and cashing in prescriptions. That was one of the ways I would implement my income because I was between jobs. Uh, 1972 to 1973, I think I had 10 jobs. I just couldn't do work. I couldn't work. I couldn't really function because I was always getting stoned or whatever the case may have been. Drinking is a, just full flight from reality. Again, like I said, I, uh, so I started gravitating towards 
people, like I said, who were needy people. I didn't understand this until I came into ACA, how I was infected as a child, and it continued to affect me as an adult. I didn't understand that type of verbiage, literature. I didn't understand that. But I can tell you one thing for sure that opened my eyes up was in 1972, I had two DUIs within six months. And so that was a problem. So I finally decided that I took it off and I went to Louisiana and I found myself out there. It just like going nowhere again. I was out there with another fellow, sanding yachts, drinking, getting high. And then it was my life to about, to about 25 years old. And then I started to do the same type of work my father. I came across front of truck tire. I really had resentments towards my father. I really didn't view him as a, that perfect model family. So I had lots of resentments and anger towards him. So I would dive and drink and, and carry on. To this day, I, I'm amazed at this higher power, God, as I understand him, working in my life was always there watching over me. I didn't understand that because there's many times I would drive 18 wheeler in a black eye. It was it's just amazing to me that I never got in trouble <laughs> in that way because that's the, that would have been a lot, lots, lots of time in in jail for sure. I've been to jail a few times. Yeah, and I even wound up in an institution. So, uh, well, of course, the next stop is death. Yeah, institutions are death, right? Grow or die, G-O-D. So there it was. So I understood that my life was in trouble. So I wound up leaving South Florida, it's my home base, and I wound up in Asheville, North Carolina. Now, this is a pivotal point in time in my life. And, of course, then I got my third DUI driving through the little town I was living in, one red light. And, you know, they, uh, they didn't even handcuff me. They said, you've been drinking? I said, look in the back seat, pulled beer cans. And they said, okay. They just took me down to the jailhouse. Uh, the next morning, my employer bailed me out of jail. It was interesting. I got back there. He said, I didn't even know you drank. I would become highly self-sufficient at that time. I was a workaholic. I didn't know that either. So I came into Alcoholics Anonymous. And it was shortly after that they came into Alcoholics Anonymous in 1981. How did that happen was I made a phone call to Asheville Linder Group. And I said, I think I'm an alcoholic. <laughs> and they got my information. And then a couple hours later, a guy showed up to talk to me. I don't remember anything he said. But what I do remember was his, he's walking down the driveway. He turned around and he said, you're an alcoholic and you're a sick person. Oh. Immediately, my next thought was, well, if I'm sick, I can get better. I don't know where that thought came from. I had no Five minutes, Michael. Oh, my God. Let me just speed on up. Anyhow, I went and met a sponsor. I had a sponsor, and uh, I, lo and behold, I got this guy who was in six degrees. He was ordained the youngest Catholic priest in the United States at that time, but he left the priesthood because of the principles of the Torstead Pope. And I said to him one day, I said, you know, if you're so intelligent, why are you in AA? He said, you keep coming back and you'll find out. <laughs> so, but he told me lots of things. He told me many things. He told me the only permanent thing in life is change. 
And then in the next breath, he said, everything is temporary, one minute to a hundred years. Huh? I was nine months sober, and I found that uh, he had cancer. I was very angry with him, and he looked me right in the eye and said, why do you think you could cure me? And that was the end of the conversation. Uh, Fred passed. I was 14 months sober at the time Fred passed. He was 44 years old from the cancer. So... I'm back in Florida now. I'm a serial monogamist. You know, I'm a serial relationship, one right after another with people, and that's of course dependent needy people. Because I'm a hero child, and I can save and rescue people and fix them. That will help sometime. I was infected as a child. I'm still affected as an adult. So in 1985, I came into the uh, adult children alcoholics. Of course, there was no literature back then at the time, and uh, I came into the Alcoholics. I had found myself in an AA marriage. My wife had issues, I had issues, and then we had issues together. So we would all go to the, our weekly ACA meeting, or COVID meeting, sit there and talk about this stuff for about an hour, then go to the Olive Garden for rest restaurant, and that was our night out for ACA. Look at Tony Ace, 12 steps. Uh, I could say that I've been looking at this particular work for 10 years, at ACA work. I'm, I'm very solid with my ACA program. I do a lot of Zoom meetings. We used to have live meetings here down in Florida, but they could just continue during the pandemic. So a lot of ACA meetings, pretty regular, and I work with Trouble Travelers. I, I work with the Yellow Workbook, and I work with the Laundry List Trace Workbook also. And uh, I've immersed myself in that. Once I saw this literature, I was so excited about the fact that I could get a greater understanding and attain more emotional sobriety. So I'm going to share about my home group, just something that happened yesterday in my home group, in my AA home group. And I, I went to the meeting, before the meeting, and somebody said to me, when you share sometimes, you mumble, and people don't understand what you're saying. So I didn't take that really in a critical way. I said, oh, thank you for telling me that. And I, and I asked another member of the group, yeah, yeah, you have that problem. You, you have that problem. Okay. I, so it, towards the end of our meeting, the chairperson kept looking over at me, and then they asked me, they called my name to share. And I said, well, I didn't have my hand raised. Oh, man, what I shared for like, a minute and a half, whatever, I said a couple of things. And at the end of the meeting, we went outside, and the person said, you embarrassed me. I said, well, okay. And the person standing next to them was talking, and they said, yeah, as a matter of fact, you chaired this beginner's meeting Monday, and you picked people to do readings. And you were doing talk, quit playing God. And we were talking about the third step. Why are you still playing God? Because I picked three different people to do readings. Again, I heard what they had said. And then as I'm walking away from them, and I'm not reacting. This is the amazing part as direct result of doing this work. I'm not reacting. I'm, I think I'm okay. I didn't respond or react to their words. And some person that I've been working with for a little while, I asked them a question. They said, I have nothing to report as they're walking away. Very guarded, very guarded person at this time full of lots of anger. And I didn't react to that. And I thought about it for a while. 
Don Ryan last night when I told Chandler, and we had a couple uh, comments. I told him what had happened, and, and he says, yeah, he says, uh, every time you feel like you get kicked in the pants, that means you're walking in front of somebody. <laughs> okay. So I understood that kind of metaphor. You know, it's been a, quite a learning experience coming to ACA because not only am I physically sober now, but I'm a lot more emotionally sober anymore. I'm not still affected by my family system the way it used to be and the way I was living my life today. I'm able to make healthier choices. I'm very grounded. I have God in my life. I read spiritual literature. And I work with fellow travelers extensively and also work in the, the Fellowship of Alcoholics Anonymous. And I'm very clear on the 12 steps. They work. They work. They work in my life. I mean, I've been looking at these 12 steps for several years now, and the process is just the, the, the structure and inside the structure is my experience that comes. And it comes, and I don't have to figure anything out anymore. I just let it happen to me. And if I don't get an answer today or tomorrow, maybe next year, and the power that works around through me and around others that I interact with, the answers always come. Uh, I've developed my intuitive way of thinking, feeling. I'm trying to use more discernment in my life today and not react to people, places, or situations the way I used to. I, uh, I'm not sure how clear I was. I, I'm very disconnected because I keep thinking about yesterday's events. I thought I put them to bed last night. I woke up this morning, and that was the first thing on my mind. All oh, these people. Huh. And I'm still, I'm still trying to move away from that emotional intoxication. Now, here I am sharing it again today. So hopefully by now I'll be finished with it tonight. And that'll be that. I think. I hope. Who knows? <laughs> okay. Thank you very much. Uh, I appreciate the opportunity to share here. I, that's all I got.